Welcome to this Texas Sports Nation podcast. I'm John McLean. You can reach me at McLean underscore on underscore NFL. And I'm Brooks Cabina, and you can find me at B-K-U-B-E-N-A. Brooks, I want to start this podcast off with the great job you and our photographer extraordinaire, Brett Coomer, did going up to East Texas to Big Sandy in Lovey Smith's hometown, and he did a great job turning it around. It's in the Sunday Chronicle. It's on Texas Sports Nation, HoustonChronicle.com. Kind of tell us what Big Sandy was like, because you're one of the few people, I'm sure, in Houston who's ever been there. Well, it's one of those places that if you blink, you'll miss it. Um, it's right outside of Tyler, Texas, and I doubt it's changed much, all that much, since uh, Lovey Smith left it whenever he was coaching seventh grade football as his first job in, head, in, in, in football coaching. And one of the funny things that I actually learned was that Lovey Smith's first coaching gig was actually while he was still a player with Big Sandy. Uh, one of the coaches who had a big impact on his life was Jim Norman, who came in to coach Big Sandy from out of town. And he's a, he was a Mississippi native and he trusted Lovey Smith so much that whenever he went to his father's funeral, he left the defense in charge of his linebacker and Lovey Smith um, and that Big Sandy team won 12 to six over Sabine. And I heard that even the points weren't against the defense, but uh, through that stretch of time, that's one of the best eras of high school football dominance and if you talk in circles uh, that about Texas foot, high school football, they'll always bring up Big Sandy. If you talk long enough, Class B was the smallest, but from 73 to 75, they won three state championships and uh, their defense was phenomenal uh, with Lovey Smith. They almost tied uh, they almost uh, tied the national record for shutouts, which was 12 and they got 11 in one year. But the offense was good. Everything about them was good, but this was a small town where back in the 70s, uh, it was funny, I was talking to their coach, Larry Minter, who's there now, and he was saying that he asked some of those guys from the era like what they did for two-a-days, and they laughed, and they said, man, we, we actually did one practice late at night because the rest of the day, we were working out in the fields. They were throwing hay bales, they were towing watermelons, they were working and farming, and that's what that countryside is like, and uh, this was also the time of integration. Um, Lovey Smith grew up in a spot called the Flats, which was across the railroad tracks in the poor side of town where a lot of black families lived. And right next to the Church of Christ, where his house used to be, uh, was an elementary school where until the fourth grade, uh, that until Lovey Smith was in the fourth grade, that uh, black students went there and then would bus out of town to a segregated high school. And his brother, Willie, who I got a chance to talk to, he still lives up in Dallas. Willie was one of the first black football players at Big Sandy. And when they went up there in 1970, they got that new coach, Jim Norman. And a lot of them were wondering how it would be and whether they would get a fair shake to play because he was from Mississippi. And of course, he was indeed from the Deep South, but he had a notable open-mindedness. And talking to his son, he experienced a lot as a National Guard member who was assigned to Ole Miss during integration. He actually helped guard black students on crosswalks going to school at that time. And he witnessed a lot of hateful, stupid things. And um, it influenced him deeply. And when he came to Big Sandy, um, anytime there were any racial fights or anything, there was one part that a, a couple of players remembered where two of the players got into a fight over race and he brought them together and pricked their arms with a pen 
and showed them that their blood was the same shade of red. And um, that kind of impact uh, on the team, they they that that went into the high school as well. I mean, even on Friday nights after games, uh, when you had black and white players beating the tar out of all these other schools, they would still have parties that were white students and parties that were black students. And the players themselves got to the point where they're like, you know what, if this is the way it's going to be, we're going to go do our own thing. So they would go and find their own spot in the woods and have a fire and, and share their moments together. And, uh, you know, a lot of people talked about Jim Norman's influence on Lovey and he was a fair man. He was a good man. Um, and that he, his, his, his way of life kind of impacted, uh, Lovey as he continued to go into football. And he was a star at Tulsa, uh, three time all conference linebacker, and then played a little safety, but always wanted to play pro football, tried out for the Falcons, his hamstring gave out in camp and then came back to be a seventh grade coach. And, Funny thing was he living at home, taking the school bus to work um, and then catching a ride back with the cheer coach and uh, t- got a chance to talk to her. And she just said, y'all just don't know how far Lovey Smith has come. And he's not someone who talks about all that. Like you really do have to go to Big Sandy and talk to a bunch of people to find out what he's done. Um, his house burned down uh, after his parents moved away and they both have passed on since, but uh, they left in that land and Whenever he was the coach of the year with the Bears, the town wanted to name one of their main streets after them. And he said he'd rather make it the street he grew up on. And that's Lovey Smith Drive now, what used to be Church Street. His parents would bus out to a place called Brown's Chapel, where they would go to church every Sunday. And that burned down recently. And quietly, he helped fund, in a large way, the new building that's there today. So they, they're they all very, very proud of Lovey and know that He'll just show up randomly sometimes because he's a regular guy and uh, he'll he'll be there. So uh, a lot of them carry him very, very close to themselves and are proud of what he's done. And they hope that he gets a fair shot at being the Texans head coach. I was going to Baylor and working at the Waco Tribune Herald and doing stories for Texas Football Magazine when Big Sandy was winning those state championships and dominating Class B football. And I remember it was a pretty big deal because they were in a heart of football country in East Texas. And I remember we covered a lot of high schools at the Tribune Herald, and then so did the Metroplex newspapers, and they got so much attention. Of course, David Overstreet was the top player, one of the greatest running backs in Texas high school history, went to Oklahoma, first-round pick in Miami, killed in a car wreck. And I think it's cool that until last season, Lovey had not coached in his home state since he – had been at Big Sandy. Why do you think he is still so beloved there, considering how long he's been gone? Well, that's a town that, I mean, since then they haven't won a state championship. And that era, as I've read in other pieces, that it actually helped out their economy in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, you it, big high school football brings people to your region, and it's an exciting and thrilling time. Um, I remember covering LSU uh, Devin White was from a small town that was the same kind of deal in Cotton Valley, Louisiana. And whenever that kind of era happens, it's one of the most historical things in that town's history. So the 70s, not just Lovey Smith, but David Overstreet and Bobby Mitchell and all these other players who are on the team, there's still a large part of that lore. And they live there and everybody still remembers it 
And uh, whenever you start playing high school football at Big Sandy, you go through the halls and you see that up there. So that's that's one of the biggest moments that had ever happened um, in that town's history. So Lovey was a big part of that. And his family is still around and he still comes by. Um, I think him still coming back and being a presence there in a quiet way um, and resembling the kind of personality and the person that that Big Sandy connects with. I mean, that's just who he is. Um, they're proud of that. And whenever he comes back, I mean, there was, there was this one story that I think summed that up. Uh, there was a new head coach who has since moved on elsewhere, got the job, the Big Sandy job back in 2001, and he was taking applications for the job. And he went to for, for his assistants uh, on staff. And he had a meeting and he left his wife in there to you know pick up applications and stuff, people coming in and out. And then this soft-spoken guy comes in and was looking for the head coach. And she said, well, do you, do you want to leave of application? I could take your resume. And it was Lovey Smith. And he looked at her and said, oh, that's 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 all right. You know, I'm, you can just tell the coach Lovey Smith came by. And she's like, afterward, the her husband comes back in. He's just, you know, stunned. What? Like, Lovey Smith came in? He's defensive corner of the Rams? So you, you told him to give an application? And – they just thought about how he could have reacted in any other way, how he could have tried and big time himself. Well, actually I, I work in the NFL or things like that. So they had a good laugh about that whenever he accepted to come back and speak at the banquet later that week, later that year. And uh, he said, you know, you never know what the NFL hold that job open. I might need it one day. And those, those kind of humble appearances and um, that, those connections and seeing him in town still and seeing what he's done there is, is, is very, it is part of the reason why, why they, they keep him so close there. So uh, they're, they're, they're very connected to uh, Lovey and, and feel that he resembles what they stand for. Lovey's hired another assistant coach. You have a story on Texas sports nation. Uh, tell us about his newest addition to his staff. Well, Jacques Césaire, he was, formerly the Buffalo's assistant defensive line coach. And um, I think this is probably a interesting hire because of the Texans run game last year uh, on defense. Uh, that was one of the problems that they had throughout the year was not being in the right spot, not holding the right holes, getting gashed on, on runs. Um, and Buffalo was very good about that last year. Their run defense ranked 12th in the league. And the Texans got to witness that firsthand when they went up to Buffalo and got stomped for it into nothing. So, you know, it's it's a defensive line that still needs to grow. They've got some pieces like Roy, Roy Lopez, who was a rookie last year, and as a mid-round pick, I think that was pretty high to be able to start as much as he did. We'll see if they re-sign Malik Collins to be an interior defensive line. He'd probably be smart and Lovey Smith's system to continue that. They liked him very much. Um, so he, he's an interesting hire, um, for the Texans and he had played for the chargers for 10 years and started off as a defensive line coach at the university of San Diego. But, uh, I mean, what you're starting to see throughout this staff, um, is the connections between the coaches and with, with, uh, with, with, with Cesare. I mean, there's not, um, that immediate, okay. The coach with Lovey Smith or Pep Hamilton or, whoever else, um, I think they really do see uh, what he has to offer here. And I think the other thing to note here is last week with Lovey Smith, he became the first black man to be a head coach in the NFL three times. And when reflecting on that, 
He talked about his relationship with Tony Dungy, who hired him at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers back in the 90s. And I got a chance to talk to Tony Dungy in that story we did on Lovey Smith. And he was talking about how he had a concerted effort to try and bring good quality black coaches into the league because their opportunities were not as much at that time. And even now you can see through the pipeline that uh, black coaches are not moving down the line to become eventual head coaches. And Lovey Smith said he was going to be intentional about that too. And at the end of his hires, that it would show a reflection of diversity. And Cesare is another example of that, another young coach who has done well with the Bills and could ascend in a defensive line coach position uh, with the Texans because that's one of those pipeline positions that eventually become defensive coordinator, eventually have a shot to become head coach. So I would point to him as someone that they feel very good about uh, having an opportunity here with the Texans. Josh McCown is still out there. They need a quarterback coach. I'm guessing they're waiting to see if he wants that job or if he has something else lined up or if he wants to go back to Rusk High School and coach his youngest son. You think uh, Lovey has said he would love to have McCown on the staff, praise the heck out of him, Pep Hamilton, who also coached McCown. He'd have to be on board with it. Do you think McCown's going to be the next quarterback coach? Well, it makes sense, uh, given how much attention they've given him and how much they see his potential being. Um, but we talked about this last week, where is it a situation where Lovey Smith's going to see that as a potential undermining of his daily work? We'll see. Um, it's also, I guess, dependent on whether um, Josh McCown wants to come into that situation after having a chance to be a head coach twice and then ending up just being on the assistant staff. Um, other than, I mean, the other thing, too, is that what we're talking about just now, um, when you look at the staff and the connections and all of that, Josh McCown was an, uh, the quarterback for Lovey Smith back in Tampa in 2014. And they have that connection. He knows what his value is. I, I think it makes sense. Um, so more likely than not, in my opinion. He had him in Chicago, and he said he did an outstanding job, and he had to have him in Tampa and told him that, so he got him there too. They were 2-14, and 14, but it helped him get the first pick in the draft and got Jameis Winston. Um, before we go, Brooks, let's look at the Super Bowl and the Rams 23-20. to 20 victory. What are two or three of your takeaways from that game? Well, Joe Burrow needs an offensive line. Uh, that's clear. Um, it was interesting in the first half that they did have pretty good pass protection. And I, I thought that the Rams would win because of how they would get to Joe. And the Titans got nine sacks and the Rams got six in that second half, including uh, the last pass rush from Aaron Donald that on fourth and one, got Joe Burrow before he could get rid of the ball. Um, if you if you look at some of the replays of that play, Jamar Chase actually gets past Jalen Ramsey. And if Joe Burrow had extra time, perhaps he would have been able to throw that touchdown to Chase and the Bengals would be Super Bowl champions. So my takeaway on that is what do the Bengals do to address the offensive line? They're going to be drafting 31st overall. All those tackles, all those top offensive linemen will be gone by then. Does that make them a potential trade partner with the Texans with a guy like Laramie Tunsil? Does it put that in the, the situation? I think that's directly correlated to kind of what I'm interested in seeing day to day. So seeing that was interesting. Um, but this was also a Rams team that was clearly good throughout the regular season. And it was they were beating the Texans 38 to nothing before they benched Matt Stafford. And that was before 
They got Von Miller. So very, they went all in with their trades with Matt Stafford. They went on with the trade with for Von Miller. I think a lot of NFL teams will try and replicate that kind of all in approach. Um, I think even Ron Rivera said over the weekend that he'd be open to making that kind of trade for a quarterback. But you just gotta you gotta wonder what kind of other teams are in a similar position to make those kind of trades, those last finishing touches. Um, and I don't I don't think every team is like that. The Texans clearly aren't. You can't just trade everybody and get one quarterback to have them get abused in an offense that's still limited. But you know, you think of how the Texans might have been able to do that in the past. I mean, think of those mid twenty tens teams that were just lacking that quarterback before Deshaun Watson was drafted. What kind of draft capital or something they might have been able to move to pick up a quarterback and maybe go the distance like the Rams did. It was an extremely risky position that they did, and they did it even uh, when Odell Beckham got injured. But they had so much depth from top to bottom. The star power was amazing with the Rams, and uh, the fact that they were able to pull off a Super Bowl, I think, will lead to more aggressive approaches when it comes to trades and draft capital with other teams. There's only one veteran outstanding quarterback who's definitely available. Anybody interested should call Nick Casario. One thing we found out next year, you better lose the coin toss because the last eight teams that have lost it have won. The last team to repeat as a champion were the Patriots in early 2000s. And the last time a loser went to the Super Bowl the next year was New England. But before that, it goes all the way back to the Buffalo Bills. So the recent history does not bode well for the Rams and the Bengals to be in the next Super Bowl in Glendale. But since Tampa Bay and, and the Rams won on their home stadiums, I guess that would make the Cardinals the favorite next year. But based on what we saw before the Super Bowl, they got problems with Kyler Murray. A lot of drama going on in the offseason. The NFL is always and the Chronicle and Brooks Cabina will be on top of it. I'm John McLean. You can reach me at McLean underscore on underscore NFL. And I'm Brooks Cabina, and you can find me at BKUBENA. Thank you very much for listening, reading, and watching. <laughs>